I'm Dustin Zahn, and this is Trainwrecks. Uh, just a quick reminder, in case you didn't tune into the last podcast, all the episodes airing this summer were actually recorded on February or March. Um, I had an emergency pop-up that required me to put everything on hold for a few months, and if references sound a bit dated during the interviews, this is why. Okay, it's summertime, not much happening on the release front, so I don't have to plug anything currently. However, I do have a new DJ mix available for the Sinoid podcast based in Berlin. They're uh, promoters that are doing parties at Grismula, which is another nice club over here. Um, you can hit the Google button or just look for it on my SoundCloud. I'll repost that and uh, you can tune in for roughly an hour. Aside from that, uh, thank you to everyone who came out to my shows the last couple weeks in Nuremberg, Stockholm, Bergheim, and Lithuania. Um, really nice run of gigs, and I'll be plugging the August dates on the next episode. One last reminder, if you dig the show, hit like, subscribe, review, share it, you know, whatever's clever. Um, every little thing kind of helps my conquest to overthrow the media as we know it, so any help is graciously appreciated. Kyle Geiger is back this week. He's a fan favorite of the podcast, and joining him is uh, Vincent Neumann. Vincent is a resident DJ at Distillery in Leipzig, Germany, and him and Kyle have been playing butt-to-butt sets for a while now. I can't really remember which places, but this interview was recorded, I guess, right after the closing set at Berghain earlier this year. So, run that bubble bath and grab a bottle of wine. It's time for my foul mouth to guide us through some lessons in techno and even a little bit about German history. Enjoy. All right, you guys ready to do this? Yes. All right, well, Tyler just had a drink of beer, but now it's time for the shot. Cheers, guys. Thanks for coming over. Thanks for having us. Oh, God. Wow. Okay. All right. All right, well, here's the deal on this podcast. I have zero notes planned because it's kind of a spontaneous one. Kyle said, let's fire up the mics. Vincent Neumann's in town. And uh, we've been wanting to do it for a while, so it's happening. We're just going to go with the flow. Right. Uh, He came back for it. That's true, technically. Devotion. It is. Right. Serious devotion. Uh, First of all, we'll go through, for those who don't know anybody here, Kyle, go ahead and say hi. I am Kyle. That's right. And Vincent? I am Vincent. I just came back. That's right. So <laughs> uh I guess let's let's kind of get everybody up to speed on Vincent cuz they've heard of Kyle on the show unfortunately. Right, right. So <laughs> too much. Yes. You've been here like I, tw- I ran, twice. I wore out my welcome. How many podcasts have you done? Just I've done well, let's let's say there was a two part. There were there were two Parts oh, of and, one, and, one and then Hester, right? John yes, Hester, yeah. Yeah, yes. yeah we always, in, actually, we intended for him to come back through a lot last summer, and then I just wasn't doing so many episodes. So. Right, right. I was yeah. going to be the kind of resident uh, troll. Oh, the, okay. So the sidekick, basically. Kind of like, you yeah, know, yeah. on Seinfeld when Kramer just marches in. Right, right, yeah. right. <laughs> like, or in, in Conan O'Brien uh, when he has, like, Andy, who always is, like, the, the go-to guy. Exactly. Yeah. Right. The <laughs> idea was to walk the line between... Kramer on Seinfeld and Kramer destroying his career. Like I, I didn't want, but not I, the people versus Kramer. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Which exactly. was that the case for? Was it abortion or? Uh, 
I don't know. No, uh, do you mean the movie Kramer versus Kramer? No, People versus Kramer. Or is it Kramer versus Kramer? That was I remember a movie Kramer. called uh, Kramer versus Kramer. But I'm not it was sure. A, it was a I know very Kramer serious is court case. Everybody on the podcast is like, you had something going, and now you're just talking about serious court cases. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody cares. Anyway, Kyle, welcome back. Thanks. Uh, Vincent, it's your first time here. Right. Uh, you're coming out from Leipzig. Right. Yeah. And you're a resident at Distillery. Yes. Which that club has been around for decades, right? 25 years. Crazy. Been, right. The longest, if I'm not mistaken, the longest running techno club that's held the same location right in germany right like if it weren't for tresor um and or if you actually subtract the time that tresor wasn't in business distillery would be the oldest still running club in germany okay like in the same location yeah and i mean like uh i just remember kind of when the whole internet thing first started blowing up in the sense of like, oh wow, we could actually get DJ mixes or something, you know? Right. Like this is during the mixtape era, you try yeah, to find yeah, yeah. it online. Like distillery sets would pop up once in a while, like, wow, this is like for an American, like, what's this weird ass club somewhere in Germany? Right. I have no clue right. where and Yeah, and how did we always how did we always say Leipzig before we got a little bit more connected? I feel like we called prob- it Leipzig. Yeah, or probably something Leipzig. Like yeah, this. I probably yeah. would have said that. Yeah, mo- sure. mo- most yeah. call it Leipzig. There's one one mix uh, from LTJ Bookham and MC Conrad. LTJ don't book him. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't play distillery anymore. Uh, and MC Conrad, he would always do his MCing thing and he would always be like, Leipzig crew, are you with us? And I was like, that's not it. You know, that's <laughs> fucking wrong. He's like, man, but you don't understand. I wrote something to rhyme with Leipzig yeah. in the hotel, so I'm not really in a place where I can change it yeah. now. Just got to roll with it. I freestyle, but only kind of, you know? <laughs> right, right. Do not give I, me new vocabulary. Right. I just on changed the, the city yeah. name to yeah. whatever <laughs> I'm going to free, quote yeah. unquote freestyle. You can always that do evening. that really annoying thing that artists do where does it ever bother you when a band or a musician rhymes a lyric with the same lyric it drives me nuts You're oh like, yeah yeah like rhyming blue jeans with blue jeans or some <laughs> yeah. shit yeah right right you have that in in, in rap a, a lot at the moment and it's like whenever i hear praise about um quote-unquote conscious rappers and yeah. they're basically just repeating the same word at the end of one line i'm like okay that's not very creative or you know conscious on any level Unless so. you were talking about like saving the whales or something at every line, then it would be yeah, conscious, that, but yeah, just not creative. Yeah, right, right, right. It would be okay because it would be like for the cause, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm like, nah. But th- that's actually an issue that plagues like music in most genres right now. Like uh, really critical thinking when in, and stuff when it comes to writing lyrics, it's gone out the window. Like a lot of bands will kind of just do vague things like what could this possibly mean because right, it's more right. like people talk about on the net like what does this song mean and then really it's just a bunch of fucking ideas that right they're right. like let's kind of mold it into some fucking picture you know right. what i mean do you know this uh this page called genius.com no it's uh, a lyric page where you can go to and check out for example the lyrics of i don't know some for example Ken- kanye west and they have these lyrics written down and then you have annotations and basically it's a like wikipedia and people can say what they guess he or she means yeah. and they can up and it's like youtube the, the comment section and they can up and down vote whatever it's probably the most probable thing someone is trying to express 
Yeah. Which is like, in a way it's cool, but in another way, like if there's something super vague, it yeah. can probably mean anything and nothing. Yeah, that's the thing though. But, you know, and of course I don't know Kanye or any of those guys, but like I, I know like even on a techno level, when I go on Facebook or Reddit or anything and I see chatter from like like fans of this music and they talk about like what they think is up with like let's say certain club nights or labels and I'm like you couldn't be further from the truth like this theorizing about why this person made this record or right. you know like what why this person isn't on that label anymore it's like sometimes it's just totally simple explanations but they get deep you know like burial is one of those guys I there's somebody going on a tangent about how like burials music changes life or whatever. I'm like, dude, it's just chopped up R and B vocals from YouTube. Like, right, is, right. you know what I mean? Right, like, right. I, I'm glad that it changed your life for the better. But let's let's call a spade a spade here. Right. You know, there was <laughs> there was an article on Pitchfork, I think, that said um, that was about like why Burials uh, second album is the most important album so far of electronic music in this century. Yeah, I'm yeah. not fast, but Pitchfork hasn't been good for years, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like... I plead the fifth. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like you got a, an five article minutes coming into on the, Pitchfork. Five minutes into the podcast, Kyle, Dustin, and Vincent all systematically destroy their careers. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Because we said no to, to pitch, Pitchfork, or... They come for Pitchforks when you say no to Pitchfork. Or they come, they come with pitchforks when you say no to pitchfork. Oh, okay. Sorry. I, I fucking don't like pitchfork there. I said No, it. you know what? <laughs> Vincent actually sent me, um, and I, Vincent actually sent me a, a long, he, he, I think he just wanted to get a rise out of me because I was a, <laughs> I was a huge nine inch nails fan. Right. Right. Um, Pre-sobriety, I guess, would be the best way I could put a line in the you sand. You say that about every band. Sure, <laughs> sure. Um, I Yeah, so the, I think the sobriety thing's a great thing, um, and he has a much better life because of it. Of course, it. But, yeah. But yeah. uh, when his world was about to snap, he just it you felt the music a little he bit made more. made much better music. But there was a Pitchfork review that like, totally slagged off this uh, The Fragile. Right. And it's just, uh, you just wanted to, uh, I don't know. No, uh, well, I, don't, I didn't read that, but I'll tell you what. Like, I know when The Fragile came out, I th that was 2001, I believe. Right. I thought that album was fucking incredible. Like, everybody was like, whoa, yeah. it sucks compared to The Downward Spiral. It was a completely <laughs> different beast. And then, like, six months later, uh, Trent Reznor was like, oh, yeah, I hate that record. I wish I'd have never made it with The Fragile or something. And maybe he was just having a moody day with the interviewer or something. But I'm like, dude, this is a really good record. Why are you getting right. so bent out of shape about this? And then I think it was last year or the year before they wanted to do a reissue of The Fragile. And he's like, yeah, I'm really proud of this record. So sometimes it takes time to come right, around to right. things. But, you know. Yeah, and I think, I think that when you have a record that's... Uh as sincere as that record is, that would probably be, depending on what stage in life you are in, oh, it yeah, might yeah. not be something uh, like some of you think of like Jay Z songs, and you're like, there's no way he's listening to this song with Beyonce in the car. Right, 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 <laughs> like, right, right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'm guessing no. I, I no. just feel like, but I did find out that Jay Z, they named their kids Sir something. 
Isn't you can't name that's like a title you have to be given, right? Like you can't your parents can't just name you doctor. Like you kind of have to earn that, right? Isn't sir the same way for Maybe in England that would be a, a big deal because that means you're knighted. Right. That's right. what I mean. But in the States, nobody would give a shit. Yeah, they just think you're you're a twat. Yeah. Well, like, man, what? Yeah, people right, will right. name uh, kids crazy shit. Like, uh, when I lived in Minneapolis, my ex, she worked at a, um, it wasn't an orphanage, but it was kind of like a, it's like you know. if Foster if, care, maybe? Yeah, but before foster, like. You know, let's say the parents are fighting and they, they swoop the kid up in the middle of the night and then they bring it over to, to her to check him in. And you know what I mean? This is before they get run through the system. Right. But anyway, they got to they gotta take the names down of these kids. And some of the names that she would tell me are fucking crazy. You'd have World Champion. What? <laughs> Davy Crockett. Rolexus. Like all Rolex. these. Cr- Rolex, <laughs> the the cross Pokemon. Name. A Ro- no, cross between a Rolex and a Lexus. Rolexus. Okay. Like wow. the craziest fucking names, and these are real. These are like <laughs> going into the books that this is an illegal name. I think we we have uh, we have laws against that in Germany. Standesamt. Like, right, right. You can't just call your kid like any any kind of name. One of the most famous ones was a, a family got rejected to name their kid Whoopi after Whoopi Goldberg. I think is that real? Or yeah. Are you joking? No, no. They they really liked Whoopi Goldberg, and they wanted to name their kid Whoopi, and they're like, no. Well, that's one of the right. few times government intervention really worked out. <laughs> but like, it, Adolf is illegal, right? Or is it just frowned upon? I was just thinking about it. I think it is illegal, but I'm not sure. It's definitely frowned upon. Like, if you name your kid Adolf, people will be like, why? Yeah. You know. Well, do you know? You know, whenever we got our dog Ozzy. So we really wanted, because he was born in Berlin, we wanted to kind of give him, because, you know, he's growing up in an American household, but we wanted to get, put him in touch with his German roots right. and give him, it had to be a German name that we could shorten. Because you always want, like, to be able to shorten a dog's name to, of like, course. something that ends with a Y or an I. And he had a stripe down his nose. And I was a big soccer football fan growing up, still am. And uh, I thought Adidas, and I thought Adi like Adi Dassler, right, right. and we were we were pretty damn close to naming him Adi because, but we had no idea that Adi was a nickname, and mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So that one we threw that one out. Showing the you true colors. <laughs> We we, heard it we first here on the podcast. So, Don't book them. No. Yeah. So so we were like we we were just horrified that we could have accidentally named our dog a short name for Adolf. for this. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so we said, okay, let's okay. And we said, well, what about Oswald? And we can shorten it to Ozzy. And right. then we start. We we think we're safe. And then we get to Gerlitzer Park, and Ozzy gets out, and we start yelling Ozzy. And people are all turning around and like kind of like snarling at us a little bit. <laughs> right, right, right. Because and, of Aussie. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, right. but 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 the way we say like Ozzy Osbourne, it's more like an A sound. So it sounds right. like Ozzy, right. like Ad Sozial, which right, for right. non German listeners is uh, short. How would you describe uh, Ozzy? Uh, Ad Sozial, uh, it's not antisocial, but it's very like um, like not being. Like an introvert or something? No, not an introvert. Like being like a a social. Like you're not you're not really part of um, like how 
common norms in in society are or you're you know you're not for example if i call someone asozial i'm thinking of someone who is out of work who doesn't want to work who starts a day with three or four beers who has like who doesn't have any hygiene trailer park boys right something like <laughs> right right something like white trash yeah probably. okay hey by the way speaking of starting out your day with uh Three or four beers, right? I've never done it, but um, let me. I, I came up with a slogan for that Sternberg, 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 uh, Sternberg beer. They could be like Germany's best-selling beer between seven a.m. and noon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could definitely do that. I think it would be an accurate statement, right? Right, right. Yeah, I mean, Sternberg is famous for being cheap and being like the the people's beer. The you people's know, beer. It's like the beer that's not very expensive and that people who, for example, work at construct construction sites usually drink. Okay. Like okay. I I grew up near the old uh, brewery of Sternberg. Really. Right. So I, I was under the impression, I, I had always been told, and I don't know if it, and you can, we'll just ask you all the German culture questions. Yeah, oh that my we God, can. okay. But I'm going to get the vodka. You guys have beers. <laughs> I heard that um, there were only three companies that really survived that were Eastern companies. It was Rotkäppchen. Was a was an East German. Rotkäppchen, yes, was, was a, East German. And Rotkäppchen is... A sect, uh, right? Like sparkling wine, I guess yes. would be. Um, and then what were the other two major? I mean, I'm sure other companies survived, but was Sternburg one of them? Yeah, Sternburg was one of them. Sternburg survived. Like there's there's uh, a couple of companies I could think of right now, not none coming to mind. But yeah, most oh. East German companies didn't really survive the. Um, yeah, the events of the the unification. Okay. Because they were not profitable, you know. It was just the state that kept them alive. Okay. So yeah. I, I didn't know if it was. I didn't know if it was. Uh, actually, three three sounded like a very low estimate of all the companies, but maybe it's just like three known companies or right, something. Right. But I had a question. Uh, what you guys think? Because I don't drink beer at all. Um, but you guys brought up German beer. So there's a lot of people that listen to the show that come to do the little techno tourism here in Berlin. What would you suggest that they try out for beer? Yeah, uh, I would suggest uh, Störtebecker. I'm really a big fan of those at the moment, and I know it's kind of frowned upon, but I always drink um, Becks. Okay. Sorry, really? So, yeah, okay. I always order Becks. Okay. Like I I'm, didn't know what I I it's not my thing but I didn't know what the uh I don't I don't know what the level of Bex is like I don't know if it's like our Budweiser or if it's more like uh I I think it's kind of perceived as that like yeah. there's like different tiers uh, what is worse Budweiser or Miller Lite Probably Miller Lite I'd yeah. say Yeah I once guess. you get into the light arena it's it's pretty bad Okay yeah, Bex is like the the beer most people associate with. Uh, people that usually don't drink beer, they'll go for yeah, a Bex, like the the beginner beer of sorts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The 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 uh, beginner tier, right? Man, right. in my opinion, whatever gets you going, you know. 
Then you then you need these like crazy hoppy beers that yeah. uh, truncates into nowadays. That's true. Those oh, yeah, things the- have like the same alcohol level as some shots do. Yeah, uh. but you know he's he's not like super snobby about shit. Like he really prefers certain things. But like if you end up at a club, you don't get like a selection of IPAs. You get whatever's no, there. And no. He doesn't give a shit. He'll drink it. You know, but he's right. not he a snobby dude stuff. to begin with. No, he's not. He's he's got by far, in my opinion, some of the tightest mixed down tracks of any techno producer. Yeah, man. And his kick drums always just sound magic. And and you will never ever get negative feedback when you send a track to him. The worst he'll say is, yeah, "It's not really for me." Yeah, but which cannot. I mean, sometimes it's not a good thing. No, no, I no because I want the the kick drum master to give me honest feedback yeah. on how right, my kick drum right. sounds. And he'll never, he's, uh, he's so non snobby that sometimes even when you request him to be snobby about something, yeah. he won't. So, right. Well, I mean, here's the thing, dude, like I, I around the dude all the time and it, you know, this, it's not like some, like he just gets lucky and finds the right kick drum sample or he buys all these CDs. Like, the dude actually knows a lot about technical stuff, like compressors and everything, whereas like a lot of people will just play with buttons and knobs until it sounds good. Like he knows how to dial yeah, it in, yeah. how to layer shit. And, you know, he's told me a bunch of things before and like uh you know, I, I not if I'm not mistaken, he went to school for audio engineering like a long time ago. Before. Wow. Like I mean it still matters now because some of that's right. like a remedial stuff that will always but this is before a lot of like things were really getting super digital and whatnot. And it's like, I, those schools will not give you talent at all. Like you spend 30 K a year or whatever it costs and you might not be able to make a decent record, but you'll definitely, or you should, if by the time you get done with it, know how to uh, get where you need to go as far as like from a technical standpoint, you know what I right. mean? Right. So, you know, cause a lot of people bring that up or like, Oh, should I, should I go to the schooling or I'm doing it? And I'm like, well, it's not going to guarantee you a career. You got to have your yeah, own no, no. I would say, I would say, if anything, um, it decreases your chances of having a career. And the re- the only reason is because no matter how how well you're doing in a career at any given time, there are going to be times of famine gig wise and everything and if you have a huge ass student loan debt to service um it won't matter how how well you learned how to compress a kick drum yeah if you if you have to if you double your living expenses because you have student debts student loan debts that gets you uh that puts you even one step closer to not being able to really put your foot on the gas or endure times of slow gig months yeah. and whatever. I mean, I smell what you stepped in, but at the same time, if you are in 2018 and trying to go to an audio engineering school, priorities are definitely out of whack anyway. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, And I can say that because I largely have my priorities out of whack. I'm no better. Um, oh. But that... <laughs> Well, you know that you know that like full sale, for example, I'll probably get like a cease and desist letter from them after saying this. But um, they always it's it's the big audio. It's like the SAE audio school okay. in, in the right. U.S. And there, I think there's an SAE in in 
the U.S., but they'll always boast their, their job placement numbers. What they don't tell you is what they're doing as a job. So if you get a job after you graduate with $60,000 of student loan debts for a one-year audio engineering degree, um, and I'm not making that up, uh, you, if you get a job at Starbucks, you count in the statistics of someone that got placed <laughs> okay, in a okay, job. So, right. so everybody sees that and thinks that they're working like as Dr. Dre's wingman. Yeah, yeah. And really, they're just lucky enough to be able to start servicing their student loans that they'll pay after a hundred years. Yeah. I think it's, it's just a way um, to maybe get a career like next to techno going, because in my opinion, trying to start a techno, a career in techno in 2018 is not a very good idea in the It's first not place. It's a smart idea, but sometimes you got to follow those <laughs> dreams. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> hey, do whatever you want to do, you know, but for me, um, Like I, I have a, a 38 hour job in during the week and I would never go full time because I think it's just very like at the moment, it's very, very not very sustainable. You know, you yeah. have you have guys that are like super, super interesting for like one year or like two years. And then after a while, they're like gone, for example. Yeah, totally. There, for example, if you remember all the guys from the uh, quote-unquote minimal area or era from like the, the bartenders at clubs here in Berlin, yeah, now, or know? or they release albums and no one cares anymore. Yeah. Like Sasha Funke, he used to be like super big, mm -hmm. and he released a, a new album I think like two or three years ago, mm -hmm. and it was like super super well produced, it had like great melodies, but I saw literally no ads, no reviews, no nothing. Well, sometimes that's the fault of the label too, you yeah. know. But yeah, I know I know exactly what you're getting at. Yeah. So so you 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 hinted at this, and I feel like between talking about some of the things we've talked about, you should tell us about what you do for a living. Yeah, we just <laughs> started quite rambling. funny. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, that's okay. Um, I uh, work as a psychotherapist in a rehab clinic. Okay. At the moment, yeah. At the moment, I'm dealing with people who are um, addicted to alcohol mostly, and uh, in the foreseeable future, I'll deal with uh, drug addicts. Okay, right. Uh, and when my boss found out what I do in my free time, she, uh, I just came back from from Amsterdam, and she was like, "Mr. Neumann, I hear you were in Amsterdam." I was like, "Yeah." Okay, did you just DJ or were you doing that other stuff as well? I'm like, no, I was just DJing. And then she was like, okay, so you're DJing on the weekends, like in Amsterdam and London or wherever. And from Monday to Friday, you are in our tiny hospital. I'm like, yeah. Okay, so why didn't you tell me about this in our job interview? And I was like, boss, I'm not going to tell you when I'm applying for a job in a hospital for uh rehab center that i'm playing techno on the weekends and she was like yeah okay yeah okay mm -hmm. i get it <laughs> so man you just gotta be like listen i'm a sophisticated dude goddamn." <laughs> like, but i mean that's like you know you hear about this stuff uh you know maybe at like the ceo level like companies where like these guys are extremely smart and well richer usually too at that point but they also like uh get off on really crazy shit maybe it's like uh 
like climbing up cliffs without the ropes or maybe it's getting wasted in Berlin, like all, you know, just like really right. extreme, um, you know, sides of the spectrum. Yeah, you know yeah, yeah. I mean? Like things to counter, for example, the the way they, they perceive themselves, for example. You have these stories of people that are like really into getting, uh, you know, shamed upon, for example. Mm -hmm. um, but really? Yeah, that sounds terrifying. No, there are some. There are some people that are like really the S and M type thing, right? Or like exactly, or some shit. Yeah, really. Okay, I thought I was thinking like internet shaming, and I thought, man, when someone says something, one bad thing about my DJing, I want to cry, and so I, it just seems like if you if you had it as a hobby, that that would be terrible. But okay, you guys are talking about something else that's probably not <laughs> not so family friendly. Yeah. But on. Um, when you're moonlighting, it's as a DJ and solely as a DJ, right? Right. So I never messed with production or anything before, or at least not on a serious level. No, not on a serious level. Like I've, I bought some gear now, but I've, um, I've always tried or I tried it for like two or three times. But for me, the hardest thing was always like, you have this you don't really have a, a starting point, you know, you can ask like five people, how do you produce? And you'll get like 50 different opinions, mm -hmm. you know? So it's really hard to, to get, to get started with it because like nowadays, most of the people use Ableton and there's, mm -hmm. I think Zach uses, does he still use a Renoise? No, not Renoise, Reason. Uh, Reason, right. He's got, he's got hardware and stuff now too. Okay. You know, okay. So. Yeah. But basically like 90, 95% use Ableton but there's like all these different tutorials on how to do stuff and they're all telling it like a different way, you know? And if you have no idea how to start with that, then you're like, okay, which yeah. way should I go, you know? Yeah. I, I, I totally understand. I also have to say what I find completely amazing is the wealth of information that's available on YouTube these exactly. days. Uh, right. I mean... uh because I'm trying to do a bunch of different things right now, not just fucking loopy techno. Right. And I've, you know, I failed out of music, no joke, in, in college and stuff like that. So, but I've been watching some YouTube tutorials and it's like, dude, if I had this information when I was 18, like, fuck, man, it'd have been over. Because yeah. you could crush it, you know? Like, imagine, yeah, I mean, imagine being able, being in university and you've got the professor in front of you and then... On this side, like on your desk, you've got ten different buttons, and you're like, "Oh, this professor is not making sense to me." And you just hit a button, and the professor falls through a trap door, and a new one comes. Oh in. yeah, yeah, yeah. And right. that's kind of what YouTube tutorials are. You're like, "I don't know what the hell this guy's talking about." Right, so you click right. on the suggested yeah. link, and then uh, depending on, you'll probably end up on like, uh, uh, what's the guy's name? Alex Jones link. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 totally. Yeah. <laughs> Some of these guys are fucking jackalopes. They don't know what they're talking about or they're explaining it really poorly. You know, like uh, there was a, there's a new Shed record out today. And oh, wow. yeah, the new Equalized. Yeah, yeah, I, I dig it. Uh, but anyway, so I was like listening on YouTube and on, on the link next to it, there was a video that's like how to make sub techno sub bass or something like that. I'm like, I just want to see what this is going to be about, you know. So I clicked on it because I assumed it would be like a wobbly kind of drum code right. thing. And it, for the most part, it was, but it was just like really clipping and like distorted and just done wrong to begin with. Like the the way he was trying to describe it was good, but just the actual presentation was was not so good, so to speak. Okay, yeah. Right. Um, but um, 
yeah, so sometimes the videos are really helpful and other times they're not. It's yeah. all how you want to perceive it too. Yeah. I mean, that's what the internet is. The internet is a, like a, a open forum for everyone to say whatever they want to say and present whatever they want to present, you know, that can be good, that can be bad, you know, yeah. and be like for production techniques or politics, you know, mm -hmm. you have, because it's like one, do you know, speaker's corner in London where everyone can get up on this, on this small box and say whatever they want to say. This, no. Do you, don't you know that no. there's there's like there's a, a speaker's corner in london in the park uh and it's famous because you always have these religious zealots that start talking about the end of the world is coming blah 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 and everyone can get up there and say whatever they want to say so it's like twitter yeah Basically. yeah i was i was gonna say the, <laughs> the internet is like that times ten thousand. you know yeah. everyone is saying everything like if you if you put a new record out for example you'll get like 10 different reviews if you're lucky <laughs> most yeah. people these days are like you i don't know what it takes to get a record review these days <laughs> yeah i don't know i don't know there's but we were talking about this earlier that the the impact of reviews is like yeah it's kind of pointless yeah yeah it's like non-existent anymore yeah i mean we were talking about how you know i grew up in uh, uh the 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 place i say that I'm from is five times bigger than this town that I'm actually from right next to it. And no one knows the place five times bigger. Right. Mm -hmm. So we'll just say Evansville for frame of reference. But when you're living in Evansville, uh, like record stores didn't exist. And uh, like, so you had Best Buy and you had, there's a record store called Disc Jockey and Coconuts. and But but basically, the, the bottom line was all these CDs were 15 bucks and they were all in shrink wrap. And if you wanted to, to get out of the shrink wrap, you had to buy it. And so when you're a kid, like buying, spending $15 on a CD, you literally had to judge an album by its cover right. a lot of times. If you, wanted to, to if you wanted to actually discover new music and... So you had like friends that would maybe buy a CD. You had MTV, which maybe covered a rotation of 50 different singles right. at any given time. Right. And then you had kind of, you had like Spin Magazine, which would have the on the cover your favorite rock star. But then in the back, they had like record reviews. And those record reviews mattered because if there was a magazine that featured some of your favorite artists then you could read the the kind of record reviews and go off of that yeah like yeah um nowadays you don't need that stuff you don't there's no there's nobody that doesn't have access to every piece of music in the world on their phone mm -hmm. right so do you, you don't really need um a professional like we were talking about this before like in the 70s 80s and 90s you had professional people working for the magazines that had their knowledge and would tell you why a record is good, you mm -hmm. know, and they could explain it thoroughly. Now, you don't really have these kind of people anymore. No. You have, like, no. if you, for example, look at uh, online music journalism itself, which has, like, no professional scholars they yeah. will tell you why an album is great but it's just another opinion you know they haven't studied music theory or whatever and they'll just say this album is great because of you know because the, i perceive it as great mm -hmm. and not on why it is for example 
why it is crafted in a in a great way or something like that. You know, and now everyone, like you said, can make up their own mind. They can just go to Spotify and check out the new record and then either say this is great or not for me. Yeah, you know? totally. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is what's really pissing me off on a lot of these. Tell us, Don. Yes, I'm going to tell how it is. <laughs> Speak your mind. These A lot of these reviews that are coming out, um, they go one of two ways, obviously, either positive or negative. That's redundant. But when it's positive, it's usually leaning towards whatever that site's bias is. You right, know what I right. mean? And then if it's negative, it's never really a, a reason as to... It's usually like, well, this... I know I no longer think that this sound is attractive. Like right now, there's like kind of a pushback against like stripped down, right, looping right, techno, right. which they were championing like a year ago. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. So it's like they when they rate a record as being bad or like not very good, it's because it's something they no longer deem to be cool. It's like yeah, but judge it for what it is. It's right, a formulaic right. techno record. In that sense, does it check all the boxes off? Yes or no? And they tell you they'll they'll describe a fucking synth like oh there's buzz saw sawtooth whatever with the flanger. It's like that doesn't matter to me. If I was reading, if I was a DJ looking to buy records with a review, I'd be like, you know, I, I want to hear from people that have experience for 15, 20 years. Or like, man, this record would go over fucking flawlessly at 4 a.m. when you got about 50 people left in the room, like someone that's been around and knows this. Right. And they you know used I mean? to have DJs give like guest reviews and yeah. like Mix Mag and uh, what was the Herb? Was it Herb? Herb magazine? Accelerator. Everybody had like, you know, they'd list off two or three records. Yeah. And they wouldn't sit there and describe the record. They'd be like, man, I dropped this at whatever. And you get this idea in your head. Kind of like we have now with track ID videos. We don't need that because there's Facebook. Like, Right, right. Oh, yeah. Kyle dropped this record at Berghain or something like that. You just get this idea in your head of what it could mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah I think it's just another um, result of the of this area where we're in, you know, where mm -hmm. just like, everything is available to everyone at the same time. And it also goes together with what you were saying before. Um, like, for example, lyrics, the way lyrics have changed. Mm -hmm. You can only write about so so many times about a certain topic and then course, and yeah. then everything has been said, you know. So now when we're in a time where you can look instantly at videos of bands from like 30, 40 years ago, people are like getting this impression, okay, everything has been done before. You know, we've known this implicitly before, but at the same time, like knowing this, okay, everything has been talked about and has been said before leaves you kind of not helpless, but like, okay, what else is there to talk about, you sure. know? So I'm just gonna blab about whatever mm. or make out like lyrics no one can really understand or say like whatever it is, you know? But yeah, and I think that that's like, that's always the funny thing um, about lyrical music to me like adds a, a a whole nother dimension of depth that you 100%. that you can that you can offer lucky for me i'm not a lyricist and i certainly couldn't do it well if i was but right. so so you have techno and and you have a lot of people that i love techno but but there is a there is when you when you cut lyrics out of the equation there there's a huge dimension of depth that you can move within um with lyrical music that you can't and and especially 
when it comes to albums, for example, hmm. like to make an album cohesive when there's lyrics, you can have a it be thematic through oh, yeah. a, I mean, like Pretty Hate Machine was very musically diverse. Or Kendrick Lamar, Good Kid, Mad City. Yeah, yeah. And it can be very musically diverse, but it can kind of tell a story lyrically right. throughout it. Right. And and so techno music, it's it's like you, it's, it, I've heard a few albums that I thought were really great in techno, but making an album like, I don't mind I don't mind an album a techno album that's that's all dance floor stuff. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't because because you know I mean when I'm if I'm shopping for individual tracks which sadly that's what most people are doing yeah. like uh, uh, an album that's all dance floor tracks is going to provide a lot of options for me selfishly yeah. speaking as a DJ. I think if you i think a lot of people will will put on albums um and i should be careful because i've never made an album and someday it would be Yet. cool to do it yeah but but i feel like some people you have like your token track where you just have to like set your dog on the black keys of the keyboard and oh, yeah, have, a, yeah. have a synth filter in and out Absolutely. and stuff but um but we were talking about this the other day. Like, I think, I mean, it's it's really funny to see like very very like classically trained uh, musicians that are now inviting techno DJs to be a part of their symphony. Yeah, yeah. And then and then techno DJs wanting to like release an album that sounds like. Music like classical music, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. you don't yeah. support that, or you I, I just find it interesting. I, I find I, I I don't. I'm pretty benign to it, but it's it's what's interesting is you always want what you don't have. So so the the Philharmonic wants the relevance with sure. the relevance that right. a DJ has. They need to sell know? subscriptions. Keep yeah, yeah. On the seats, I get it. Yeah, and but then uh, a DJ, we always kind of have this. Uh, a bit of a Napoleonic complex. They want to believe they're an artist and all about, that shit. About, yeah. Napoleon wasn't short for his time, by the way, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, you, you have this, um, you want to be, you want to have something, you want to be validated as an actual musician or as an artist. Yeah. Well, I mean, there, there's totally, I'm sure that it's a subject where it's a case-by-case -case basis. But I'm sure there are some techno musicians, quote unquote, who decide later on they're like, okay, I actually am into this music stuff pretty heavily now. Yeah. And I want to do yeah. more than just techno, like myself, you know? Yeah. And then you have people like um, who, I don't know, I don't really know which orchestras, I couldn't name one off particular, but one that, like you said, could be viewed as wanting to maintain relevance by getting younger people in. But maybe finally, electronic music let's just say not even techno is finally getting acceptance in a more academic uh you setting. know demographic setting yeah which it's about fucking time you know what i mean because there's so many similarities to a composer on the computer 
for whether it's dance music or hip hop or ambient or something as you know was with sure. Beethoven. Sure. Surely those guys were a million times better. Oh but. yeah, yeah. I I think as I understand it, there's a, a pretty good friend of mine that's the he's a techno freak and a chief. He's the he's the principal timpanist. I almost messed up his term, but uh, or his job title, but he's the principal timpanist at the New York Philharmonic. And um, from what I understand, the the issue that these classical orchestras have with electronic music is not the electronics themselves, but it's the fact that it's it's pre-recorded playback. And that's something that they've been... Uh, so if, if in theory you could somehow do electronic music in a more traditionally live context, I think that they would be open. I mean, if a robot could do your job, you'd be a little stressed out about it too, right? <laughs> it would suck, yeah. Have you heard those horns on those 80s Casio keyboards, man? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> out of a job if but, you're a I horn mean, player. You know what I'm saying, right? Yeah. So it's like... I get it. I mean, but at the same time, I think people are also getting tired of saying like, I mean, I still think the violin's an incredible instrument, but some yeah. people are like, dude, I'm really tired of hearing the violin. That's what Geiger is, you know. Is it? Geiger. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. It's Ge Geiger is a violin. Okay. Well, maybe you should take play it, it up. <laughs> well, anyway, so like, but you know, some people are like, let's run this fucker through some pedals or do some, you know what I mean? Like that now they're willing to do things a little bit more abstract than they were, let's yeah. say 10, yeah. 15 years ago, even. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I think, or I'm, I'm wondering like, why would anyone strive for that recognition? You know, people will, for example, a tech new mu musician will never be fully, "Quote unquote," accepted by someone who plays in a classical orchestra, you know. I I think. I think at a certain point, though, you don't. It's not really about get. I mean, for some people, it's acceptance of others, but I think it's more about, you know, showing yourself that you can do it, or, um, you know, just something you got to check off the list. You know what I mean? Like, you might be like, "Well, uh, I'm a world traveler," or like, "I like to travel around the country," but I've never got to go to Europe before, so. I'm gonna do that. Like, there's just something you gotta okay. do. You know what I mean? It's okay. Yeah, yeah. Your hobby or your passion. Yeah. You know. Okay. But I don't know. I mean, like for example, to put it in the DJ context, you you're doing primarily techno, right? Right. So, but maybe there's like a little bit of you that loves drum and bass of something. You're like, dude, it's not my thing, but I want to do maybe just like a couple drum and bass sets here or there, just to like get it out of my system and like oh yeah know yeah, that yeah I can okay do it or you know what I mean yeah yeah like like, the, like someone who plays techno all the time and gets to play like one one house set per year exactly yeah you know? yeah well and I think I you know not to like bring the focus to us but I think that that is uh, that's one of the reasons we started doing some back to back sets yeah let's was, talk about that was like. It, I tend to be such a control freak with, with DJing and music to the point where sometimes I find myself like not taking chances that I should because I I want to be in so much control of the, All the, the outcome time. of those chances, right. you know, and like, and um, I I always thought that if if like a back-to-back -back set is very, I would say one of the most challenging things 
when we've played together um, has been like, you know, that feeling whenever you feel every DJ set has it where, where you feel like, okay, I need something needs to change or something like, yeah. I, oh yeah. You know, or like imagine sometimes you, so if you're playing like two records back and forth and everybody plays the wrong record at the wrong time. Yeah. But if it's your second record in a back-to-back set and you're playing two and two and you play that record, you have to deal with that for the next, you know, you're hoping that someone else is going to be able to fix your problem. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And that was, that was like, for me, like being able to lose control actually gave a little bit more interesting like freedom and yeah. doing that not always being able to oh yeah 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 talk myself out of problems right away or whatever that's a thing i mean especially for let's just say computer producers who do you know they're not really a band so to speak they're the only mm. ones making the music and dj and it's always pretty much the same thing it's just you for the most part unless you start off as a duo which most people do not yeah um so it becomes a very intimate solo thing. Like you don't have to ever consider anybody else's feelings or anything like that. So when you yeah. get thrown into the box with these people, you're like, oh shit. With band members, they have to deal with other assholes all the time. So yeah, yeah. it's not to them, this isn't really a foreign concept. But for a lot of DJs or producers, it is. So like I've done a lot of back to backs, some not so good and some worked out really well. Right. Obviously, it's a chemistry thing. But yeah, like uh, how I noticed. What you're talking about, Kyle, is um, basically you. I've learned from other people that like I'm trying to do my thing, and they're just like really handsy, like they just don't chill out, and then it drives me fucking nuts, and it makes me think like, why do I not want to do back to back sets anymore? And I realize it's because people are too on top of the mixer or whatever. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like hugging the mixer. It's made me like hyper aware. So now when I do back to backs, like when I know it's gonna be a back to back, I'm like cool. That means it's time to just like, you know, have a drink, sit back, chill. Like I don't. It's not all about me. And like it takes right. you got to swallow that pride a little bit. Oh but, yeah, I mean yeah. it. It happened uh, when we first met. Um, like I, I wrote uh, about this on on Facebook how how I met you, Kyle, the first time. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, it was uh, very very charming, yeah, very sweet. I I had played uh, Berkheim for the second time in March of 2015, and I. I played from 15 to 20 and then I went to the bar to have like... That's a, 3 to 8 p.m. on, on yeah, a Sunday for sorry. everybody else. <laughs> right, right. Um, and then I went to the bar to have like a couple of beers. And so this tall guy with silver hair comes to me and says like, hey man, I really like the way you were playing, really enjoyed the energy. And I was looking at him and I thought like, I know this face from somewhere. And I, so I just asked him, you're Kyle Geiger, right? And he was like, yeah, yeah, that's me. Oh yeah, cool, cool, cool. And then we hung out for like a couple of minutes, I think. And then next day I got another message from him on, on Facebook where he was like, hey, I was really sincere about what I what I said. Uh, I really mean it. And I was like, oh yeah, me too. I really like your, your attitude and your stuff as well. Because we're like um, a rare form of DJs that actually smile when playing, which is like <laughs> a, a lost art form nowadays. 
mean, uh, we borrowed it from Chris Liebing. Think, <laughs> yeah. 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 And so we kept exchanging messages. And then one day we were, I, uh, I pitched his name to, to the booker from the distillery. And so we played together for, for the first night and I played from one to three, you played from three to six. And then we were playing like yep. back to back until the end, just yeah. like spontaneously. Yeah. 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 And then it was like, okay, that really, that really kind of fit, you know, without any expectations or whatever. So one day we were just like, okay, why not just do it regularly, you know, because mm -hmm. it's always, it's one thing to be in control, like most of the time, be it with productions or be it with DJ sets, but it's also very, not healing, but very, um, You, you know, it's a new experience to just, you know, mm -hmm. let yourself, quote unquote, go like while someone else takes over, you know, not just being responsible for the, the evening for the whole like four hours, say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, I think it was funny, like, because we we started after we played that first time together, we started talking about like doing more planned back to back sets uh, um, and we were kind of doing, we knew that we were playing this uh, set at Berghain and we wanted Which was to, this weekend. This last weekend. Yes, last yeah. weekend, yeah. And um, so we wanted to do a um, kind of a warm-up. A warm-up set. So we did an all-night set at Distillery the weekend before. And one of the things that was really funny when we were walking from the train station... Uh, we were talking about like the way, like just some, some way that different people DJ mm -hmm. and, and it kind of hit me that, that, uh, I think you've quoted sin faith, um, about some, the, the vinyl record about, yeah, just like about having a track and, and a track if you're, if it's worth being played for basically one minute, it's worth being played for like basically play a track to its uh like how Sven Faith would let a track he plays it out plays right, it out. right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Rather. right and and one of my i mean i would say definitively my biggest inspiration for the the DJ i mean there's been tons of people that have inspired me but i would say the single biggest was like Richie Houghton and his Dex effects in 909 oh, man. fuck yeah <laughs> And just like and and seeing him play for for like I mean that was the first concept of like knowing that a DJ was even uh, that you could even possibly play for ten right. hours right. and seeing him play and having every record not be recognizable because like it was he was always running like two or three records at a time mm -hmm. and had loopers and effects and all of this stuff. And, and like really like having this be, that was kind of like the way that I approached DJing. And it was kind of funny that like when we were going into this, like back to back relationship, <laughs> that's a new term. Yeah. Um, <laughs> look at, don't look it up on urban dictionary. Um, <laughs> but uh, there's uh No, when we started doing the back-to-backs, it was really interesting because, like, I remember when Sven Faith and Richie Houghton started doing the the back-to-back -back sets, and it really kind of pulled both of them in different 
directions. And mm-hmm. it was like such a, it was style. Like Vincent and I are playing like really similar. Right, right. Music like yeah. we were sending back and forth tracks, and it's, but it's like, a different style. Yeah, and like the 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 way we DJ is is stylistically is probably the most different to to what we do, and so yeah. it was really cool to like by the end of the night, like I compared it to when you move in with a significant other. Like at first, you're like, yeah, like. You you start to but by the like at first you start to want everything to be like in control in in the way that you see it and then by the end of the night like for example you when you when you have the headphones on you're always mixing in like a more wet yeah yeah uh, like the on the Allen and Heath yeah. and then I'm completely dry whenever I'm mixing and so okay. like there's no bleed between the channels correct for those who right are wondering between yeah the songs. yeah and um and by the end of the night it was just like when you switched over you just knew to turn oh it yeah, was yeah, like yeah. this second nature of all these things and um i would say the first like after like three hours i think we were like okay we've at maybe Berkheim or at distillery at Berkheim. Berkheim. yeah i think at, at Berkheim at, at first it was like uh, the first hour was just like, oh my god, this is happening, <gasps> and then uh, we were playing like uh, two tracks each mm-hmm. for the first two hours, I think, and then we yeah. switched it to three tracks, and three tracks was like really helpful because, like we we talked about this later, that uh, two tracks, like one track is for for taking it's good over for shorter sets, I think, right, <laughs> or or when uh, you're like drunk, yeah, and at the end, yeah. Of the yeah. End. <laughs> Yeah, but like usually the if you play two tracks each, like the first track is for taking over from mm-hmm. your partner, and the second track is the track that you actually want to play, and then it's already the the other guy's turn, you uh-huh. know, and then you're like, no, I just wanted to create a story, uh, uh-huh, my uh-huh. turn, you know, yeah, yeah, but it's a lot easier to do three tracks though when you how long you guys play? They did the closing set by the way, ten, so ten, ten, yeah, ten, ten hours, hours roughly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I mean. You got time to spread out. But if you guys are doing a two-hour set at a rave or something, I guess you could still do three tracks each, but you're not going to get as many rotations, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just just felt like that was really the, the... I mean, well, let me say this. Every single time I play Bergheim, I'm like, this is the time that everybody's going to hate me. Really? <laughs> what? I swear to God, I'm like this. The first 45 minutes, I think it's in my head. I don't know because like there's always someone that that gives me nice feedback. They're like the first right. hour was really strong. I'm like, I thought that I was ending my career that first hour. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I just because you're you're in such a sensory overload already, and like you, it's very hard. The only way, like, I go there as a guest all the time. And you can kind of like meander through the crowd and and whatever, but for some reason, when you're on that DJ lineup, the the amount of people that would normally just like pat you on the shoulder and wave and like it's you're you're getting kind of like surrounded on those nights, even when you're not like I don't know what it is, but the so you don't really find that calmness until you start playing. Yeah. And it's usually, honestly, the first 45 minutes, I always personally like have this, this inner struggle where I'm like, 
I don't think I'm playing the right way. Yeah. Like yeah. I don't I don't think I'm like I'm not getting a hold of the room. I, I'm not like really like finding the, the the rhythm. And and then it kind of just all like Comes it's together. Like, it's like you find the grooves in the road and then it's it's almost like the crowd starts DJing for you. Um yeah, totally. But I guess I feel that way about every gig takes me a while yeah. to settle in well yeah, the, like yeah, you said I mean, the first 45 minutes like of every, every gig, not just berkheim just as any any you know normal or regular gig anywhere mm -hmm. like, i have that too like for example sometimes when i play at a distillery and i do the opening and nothing happens in the first like 30 minutes i'm like okay this is it i can't do it anymore You know, I'm just gonna hang up my USB sticks tomorrow. We all have rough nights, you know. But yeah, the yeah. good news is you can you never have to fully hang up USB sticks. You can use you can them to like you can use them. You can put them in a drawer. Or you could use them for like Word documents. It's right. It, right. Maybe we'll be like, I'm gonna start putting my resume on this USB <laughs> stick. <laughs> CV. Yeah, keep yeah. That on there. I gotta keep that updated. Get more for, realistic. Yeah. Right. Um, but I I know what you're saying. It, I think you know, like we've you've played at at Burkine quite a while, many times. Now, yeah, right? Vincent, I, I yeah. think like twelve times now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we've all played there quite a bit. I mean, the thing is, is like it actually for me gets easier every time. It feels like home when I stop up, even if, even if I haven't played there for a while. Right. Um, but it's I think also it's because like especially for Kyle and I, we've been there so much. Right, just right. these idiots that. Uh, <laughs> oh, trust no, me. that's you, that, man. It, it I'm always like looking home. out after you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, trust me, I've been there as an idiot myself, like many times. Yeah. Like I used to But, go there, like from 2012 to 2013, like at least once, once a month. Yeah, I lived there every weekend. Yeah, you know? yeah. So, there is no more fun place to act like a donkey than in that place. It depends, but yeah, it's a good contender. <laughs> but the thing is, is like, so yeah, maybe the familiarity makes it easy. But once you get like into that like third hour or something, uh, the tracks pick themselves as cheesy right, as it right, sounds. Right. Like so many gigs, like even really good gigs when I'm on the road, I'm still like, oh, fuck, what am I going to pick? And I add a bunch of tracks to that little CDJ tag list or something. It'll yeah. be like 100 tracks. So I'm like, maybe I'll get to that. But the reality is I still don't know what I'm going to play next. Whereas there, I don't even think about it. Like, I totally spaced that I even played. I'm just like, oh, yeah, this one, this one. Like, it it comes naturally. Like, my yeah, brain's yeah, yeah. already, yeah. my subconscious is ahead of what I'm getting at, yeah. you know? Yeah, after a mind, you're just, uh, you're just in this, um, your frame of mind is just, like, very, very different or very, like you said, used to the room or the energy of it. It always takes time to pick up the energy of the room. You know, like we, yeah. we knew when we played the closing, we had like so many people come up to us, you know, it was like a beehive, you know, oh yeah. my God, you're going to play closing. And I was like, yeah, we are, but I really need some time for myself, you know, to get used to, oh, to yeah. everything. And I need ice cream. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the other thing. A lot of people like, oh, yo, can uh, can I get you a drink or something like that? And there's a, when you first start, it's a lot of excitement. Right, and you're like, right. you really need to settle in. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And it's like, even if, if it doesn't matter what club I'm at or festival or anything, like if, if they say, oh, yeah, Kyle and Vince are starting now. Like if I'm not already at the stage to like see you guys start, I'm like, fuck it. I'll take my time. I'll come check in, on fi in 15, 20 minutes. Like let them, you know. Catch oh, yeah, that group because yeah, 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 otherwise yeah. you're standing there like, come on, do something, make me laugh, you know, do right, you know what right, I mean? And you're right. just checking your watch and you're like, you need that time to 
to ease into it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I think I think that this is like the the red line through through great clubs are are clubs where DJs have kind of become like this uh, this like celebrity like uh, it's it's almost like this god. And I don't I don't actually think that the I think that the DJ was always intended to be the accessory to the party, not really. Not really the the star. Yeah, it was uh, never the spotlight. Yeah, and and I think that I think that clubs that have a culture of guests that they're I used to get like a little bit. Mm, what's the word? You would you would have people that would be like, okay, when's when's your next gig in in right, Berlin? Right. And you're like, oh, I'm playing next week at this at this club or whatever, and they're like, oh. But when's your next gig at, at Bergheim? Right. You know, and you're like, okay, so that's because they just want guest lists. Well, but yeah, it's also, yeah. but it's also the reality of embracing the reality and understanding that there are there are there are Dustin fans and there are Dustin at Bergheim fans. You know, yeah, it's true. And and also like, but I used to get a little bit like sad about that, but time and time again, when you have a club that is in a place that's like kind of an institution yeah. in that city. And like, I used to go to smart bar. Um, when anytime I'd visit Chicago, I'd go to smart bar and I didn't even know what the lineup was. Right. Like I was a huge fan of house and techno music at the time. They were almost exclusively playing house music, but I always knew it'd be a good time. Yeah. And so I went to Smart Bar with the expectation that I was going to have a good time. Yeah. And there wasn't, I went with the expectation to have a good time, knowing that I'd have a good time, excited to hear what the DJ was playing. So I never had this idea of like, this DJ better be good. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and yeah. I think that once you have this attitude of like a, a place that has an attitude where people are there in a way, it's almost more right when they're there for the club than for the specific DJ. Like I feel like, yeah. I feel like the DJ is a lot more free when the people are there for the club and they're treating it like you're the guest versus you're the entertainer of the totally. night. Right, and right. I, I just I prefer that in some ways. I mean, th that's the thing, though, and you can really tell a lot about a club when it comes down to that, but I can also say you brought up Smart Bar. Like, clubs that generally started off as house clubs or disco clubs, this is dating ourselves a little bit now, but some of them are still around. These are places where the booth is, there's not a major emphasis on it. You know what I mean? Right. So it's like, right. uh, there's no stage or anything, and it's like, oftentimes, you're almost in the corner, so to speak. And, like, house rooms or whatever, like, uh, where is where are the straight parties at now? In, they're at Tom's House Vest. Yeah, like that little room where they're doing the house music in there. What are they mm -hmm. calling that room again? There's Dora and Smoke Box. Yeah, it's like Dora, I'm thinking. It's yeah. like super understated, just like a vibey house room. Yep. There's no yep. like big light show or stage presence or anything. And like those rooms are always so great to play. I mean, yeah. I, I'm thinking like Stereo Bar in Montreal has a similar vibe. Panorama Bar to some extent, but that's sort of almost getting to be a bigger room at that point, in my mm. opinion. Um, there's plenty of little rooms like that. You know, even uh, the booth at Concrete sort of has that vibe. Concrete's a very big club. Right. doesn't look like it in the videos, but, I mean, it's a very long Seems boat. like yeah, a very, very long, long yeah. shotgun yeah, it's a huge, style. Yeah, it can feel yeah. like but, but that booth 
kind of, in my opinion, stems from like you know the house sort of background. You know what I oh, mean? Oh yeah, like, because it's not you're not you're still on the same level as the guests. Mm-hmm. You know, like, there's no yeah. rock star. I'm looking down on you on your people dancing. And I I want to be my ideal thing is when the guests slightly surround you. Like I really I really like yeah, when a DJ party, booth right? when a DJ booth is a little bit in the round where it's not yeah, completely yeah. pegged up against the wall. I mean that's not physically possible in some clubs, but like this uh this club in Munich, MMA. Yeah, MMA. they're not this weekend. They're like Oh uh, man, that that small room at MMA club is it's one of my favorite rooms to play. Really? Cool. Because have you played there? Yeah. Okay. So so the the DJ booth, there's like a DJ booth and then there's like a little bench where people put their record bags and their USB bags and whatever. And uh people put their fucking bags there. Yeah. Or everyone beers, puts their bags beers. There. Yeah. Um and you have sometimes people sitting back there and right, right. like waiting for you to fart. Um, but then there's people behind, there's probably about five or six yards or meters. For our international audience, um, there's uh, a dancing space right. behind the booth, mm-hmm. so you've got you're you're completely surrounded. And even, I mean, you know how it is. Whenever you feel when you're at like an U-Bahn station or a train station, and you feel someone's just a little too close to you, yeah, you don't see them, and you don't, but you're like you're behind me. Oh you yeah, know? you're you're feeling it, and, like they and keep grabbing your ass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when you're in a club and you know and you can sense that there's people behind you, like right. dancing, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, um, because or, you don't feel like you're. I mean, you are at the center, but you're not like the only thing they're looking at. There's like you know you're in the middle of something that's happening right yeah. right and that's what it what it used to be you know people wouldn't dance uh to look in into your eyes you know they would mm-hmm. just dance with each other like uh we had we had guests over at my parents house a couple of months ago from israel and they were going out to distillery one night i don't remember to to what what act but they they saw me and and someone else and the next day we went uh for for food and they said it was really interesting to see because in israel um they they told me the people they dance together you know that Mm -hmm. they they're dancing with each other yeah and she would they would say okay we noticed that the people first of all they're dancing in rows and they're all dancing towards someone they're dancing towards the dj booth I mean, yeah. I've seen the dancing towards a booth in Tel Aviv too. To yeah, play. yeah. But also, yeah, okay. but but if you but, have you've ever seen, have you ever had like uh, like uh, Ben, the chef here in uh, that runs Yafo, Mrs. Robinson's in Yafo. He's always if he goes back to Israel, it's usually for a proper Jewish wedding, and right. and every time there's a video of a Jewish wedding that he sends me, I'm like, where are you? And he sends me a video and then it's a Jewish wedding. And they're doing this like thing where they're joining arms and spinning as fast as they can in circles and like chanting and dancing. And it's like a very, it's a way more communal thing. And I even noticed, I even noticed in Israel, it was, it was so weird to go and see benches in Tel Aviv that faced each other. Um, like yeah, park yeah. benches. I mean, maybe this is uh, a bit generalizing, but I, I, I tend to believe, man, it's not not quite a Mediterranean thing, but it's like that warmer climate thing, you know. Anytime yep. you're in cultures like that, they're much more social. 
right you know and but i mean there's things to be said for each culture as far as dancing goes i think it's cool that you can kind of get down together but then like let's just use germany for the example because we're here we're talking about it blah 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 uh people will just kind of like jam out and get in their own head and right honestly for me that's more kind of what i'm looking for i'm not looking to dance with you two gentlemen i'm looking to like (laughs) come on just vibe the fuck out you know what i mean (laughs) and also it kind of sets a precedent like if you are someone that goes out on the dance floor you don't feel like you have to strike up a conversation like that person's dancing their fucking ass off and they they don't care if you're there or not right and i think that's also part of the reason why like there's such a uh, like hedonistic vibe in, in Berlin and actually a lot of places now, but it's like depending on like the lack of clothing or what they're wearing, like they're not interested in impressing you. Right. They're, right. they're there for a reason. Yeah. It's, right? a, it's not, it's, it's one of the, and I mean, again, this is, but I, I, when I first started coming to different clubs in Germany, I, it was like one of the first places that I felt, and Germany's a, a big country. So you can't like 80 million people. It's like when people are like, what's wrong with your country? You're like, which part? You know, yeah, when yeah, people yeah, are, yeah. when after Trump gets elected, you're, they're like, what's yeah. wrong with you guys? You're like, I don't, which ones? Like, right, right. We're, we're 330 million There's people. There's 80 million here? There's 80 million in Germany. 82, 82. Damn. Sorry, 82. Almost the size of like Mexico City. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what is that? Like, that's, one fourth, twenty five percent as big as the U.S. Right, right. So that's a big country um, for the for the landmass, especially. Yeah, yeah. But um, so so considering how big Germany is and how many different cultures there are within Germany, it was one of the first places where, in the clubs, at least in the techno clubs, like I mean, every club has your pop clubs that are yeah. going to be different oh, yeah, yeah. or whatever. We're not going to exclude them. But it was the first place that I felt like people weren't dressing to impress others necessarily. Yeah, no, no. There was also one of the one of the things. If you uh, read, for example, the book uh, "Der Klang der Familie," which I you gave you, me. yeah, yeah, yep. yeah, as, as a present, um, they're also talking about that. For example, in the in the eighties or in the seventies, when people wanted to go out to dance, you had to have a partner and you had to dress accordingly. You know? Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. For example, like my parents used to tell me, um, who grew up in the GDR, that um, there was there was only like one track, and then the DJ would say something. Like for example, the next song is for all the the boys with their new jeans or whatever. And, okay. Right. And you would need a partner to dance with, and so when techno came, it was very liberating. A because you wouldn't need a partner anymore you could you could dance on your own like you could dance together with other people but you wouldn't need to you know to hold hands or to dance face to face you could just do your own thing and the other thing is you wouldn't need a certain dress code right so this is what what made his music like kind of kind of great because everyone could join in and you wouldn't you know there was way fewer obstacles to take yeah 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 that's true and I was talking with uh, I. I'm in the same studio as uh, Alexander Kowalski, and Alexander Kowalski was telling me that back in the GDR days, you actually the D, the DJ was GDR is uh, East Germany or the old East Germany yes. for 
those that didn't know, but um, he was telling me that that there would actually be inspectors that would come in to various clubs and they would they would make sure that the DJ I think you were allowed to play and this is what Alexander Kowalski was telling me was that you were only allowed to play like 20 or 25% yes. of music from the western I think it was 20 like 20%. You had okay. to play 80% had to be of GDR. Seriously, that's crazy. Right, right. 80% had to be from the GDR and only 20% uh, could be from the Western aggressor. Okay. Seriously. Like, And you had ex inspectors that would check upon that yeah. like, multiple times during the night. And you could get your DJing license revoked okay. if you wouldn't comply. That's wild. Well, they haven't. They, Germany hasn't backed off on licensing, but they've definitely backed off on the freedom of what you. Uh, I oh feel yeah, like. because yeah, because it was like GDR. Like when my parents, who both uh, grew up in the GDR, tell me stories about the way they used to live there, like I I wouldn't believe the stories they told us. Like, um, have you seen the lives of others? The movie? No, no. Uh, it it's about one guy that works for the Stasi, and they're showing different methods, like on how they used to observe people. It's a great movie. I, I recommend it. Okay. And I would ask my parents, like, is it true? Like, for example, you would have one person observe one family, like throughout the whole week, like including wiretaps and everything, and write down everything they would would they would talk about and keep like a very detailed protocol about everything. Everything they would shop, everything they would talk about, everything, every route they would use to go to work or whatever. Crazy. Now we just use Foursquare. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or we volunteer that. We shit. just yeah. use our iPhones. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. No, it, but it was a big undertaking, that whole uh, Stasi stuff, you know? And, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's a thing. Like, a lot of people want to talk about just you know, Hitler or something when it comes to, well, history in general, but especially German history. But it's like, there's yeah. so much other crazy shit. Oh, yeah. Like, to yeah. me, just the idea, the concept of, of the wall is really bizarre because when you look yeah. at it, it's not that thick. And it's tall enough, but it's not like it's a mile tall or something, yeah, you I know? know? So it's like, yet yeah, this this fucking piece of concrete will completely change your whole perspective of how you know the world because yeah. they didn't have the internet then really you know yeah so. no right for example if when people wanted to be wanted to meet in the gdr and wanted to make sure there there wasn't going to be a, a spy on them they would meet in the park and go for a walk together you know because okay. they, because then they could see if someone was following them Okay, and this is also like you you mentioned the wall. If you look at a map of Germany and try to see the most populated areas or states, like there's nothing where there used to be the wall. Like everything between like Thuringia and, um, for example, Sachsen-Anhalt and Niedersachsen or Hessen. There's nothing. There's nothing in between because all these areas are like militarized, demilitarized zones. Um, you know. Okay. Crazy. And, um, yeah, I guess I, uh, this was another thing whenever I first, I mean, sorry, you're being the, the German cultural spokesperson no, for this okay. interview, but the, one of the things I noticed, uh, like an early gig that I had, um, I was, I was picked up in a BMW yeah. and this was 
this was like the coolest thing since sliced bread for me. What year was this? This was like, I mean, I think it was after I had moved here. Um, but it was a, it was like a, it was like a seven seven hundred series BMW or eight hundred yeah. series BMW, and I thought, man, what a what a dream to get the ride. And so I took a photo, and the guy was like, the guy was like, "Are you gonna blur out that license plate?" Right, right. And and in my head, I'm like, dude, thousands of people see your license plate when they walk by, but it took me a really long time to figure out this this idea and then i read an article when when the us had been caught spying like tapping angela merkel's cell phone right and uh and many other cell phones yeah. oh, yeah, in, yeah, in yeah. fairness um and there was an article in der spiegel right. and it and it said it was a it was a guy who was german who lived most of his life in america and he's like i'm going to try to tell you why explain to Americans why we are a culture that has no problem sitting completely naked next to strangers in the sauna. Um, Or on the beach. But we'll, but we'll cover our faces when the Google streetcar comes. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the, the article was fascinating and it really, and like for this, like having the photo with the license plate there, told your time and location yeah, of yeah. you being at a specific place. Yeah. Given being at the Best Western to pick up a DJ to go to the airport wasn't so incriminating, but that's kind of like a hardwired um, thing like right. culturally. And it, I, I found that I was doing, when I moved to Germany, it wasn't till I moved to Germany where I, I never felt that I identified with American culture right. until I started finding out these things that are kind of like, sorry, they're like, yeah, they're, they're really like, I'm like, holy shit. Like I'm, I'm more American than I thought I was. I, That's the thing. Like when I go back to the States, I really don't feel American at all in some regards. No, I feel really foreign. But then when I'm here, I feel extremely right. American. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah so, yeah. I don't know, like, where do you fit in in that in that part? And it's it's a weird feeling to have, you know. But honestly, yeah. it was I felt the same way in high school. It was like I didn't. I'm not going to sit here and say that like high school was terrible for me and I got bullied or something because that was not the case at right. all. But I also hustler. felt I felt yeah I was hustling every day. No, <laughs> but honestly, I just I just felt like I was floating. I'm like I don't want to fucking be here. Some of these people are cool. Some of these people are assholes. I just got to right. ride the clock out for four years and then I'm out. Right, right. And that's that. You know what I mean? I never really felt like there was... I had some really good friends that I still click with to this yeah, day, yeah. but never really felt like I was on the same page as... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then, yeah, I, that's interesting that you say that because like, I, I had a, a, a similar feeling like when I went to uh, high school and yeah, the, the years before I went to college... Like I, I had some friends, but they were never sharing like the same interest that I had. You know, you had like people that you would occasionally meet, and especially uh, when it came to music, you know, there was basically no one that had like the same interest in music that that I had, or like many of us had. You know, when we we became DJs, not because we were like, oh yeah, music is cool or interesting. We became DJs because we were like. <sighs> 
you know, we could eat this stuff, you know, and we could drown in it and, yeah. and still be happy, you know. What? How did you get, what was your first, I don't know if I know this, what was your first techno encounter? Okay, I had one friend who was into techno, but he wasn't into a techno techno. I was 65. Yeah, that that that, <laughs> that kind of stuff. And I was like, "Oh my god, that's so boring. There's First no of all, there's, What year is this? Uh, roughly. That year where I met this one friend uh was like 2000, 2001. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, still good then. Yeah, yeah, but I first started going out to techno music um I think in 2008. Like, oh wow! Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I before that, I used to be into a lot of, uh, like post rock stuff and that kind of. And then I went to, um, from that I went to Aphex Twin, like the usual IDM route. And then mm -hmm. I went to the first music I went out to to dance was basically drum and bass in like two thousand. That's pretty much exactly my same story. Yeah, <laughs> like two thousand. 2006 i'm gonna say okay. i went yeah to drum and bass in leipzig that's when leipzig still had a, a vivid and active drum and bass scene which is non-existent anymore now and then i i listened to idm and then i went to breakcore like venetian snares and mm -hmm. bongra that kind of stuff and the thing about breakcore is you have to actually know the tracks oh, yeah. to enjoy them but hey, Venetian Snares is coming to Berlin with Daniel Lenoise at I, Funk House. I, I saw him once at Maria am Ostbahnhof in 2008, I think. Uh, he was like really cool. I'm going, man. I'm flying <laughs> back from the States that day just to do... To, well, really? I was going to come back a couple of days later, but I'm like, fuck it. Because yeah. I'm a big Daniel Lenoise fan and him and Venetian Snares would be pretty... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. His, his stuff, like he used to release like three or four albums one year yeah. that was like... He had like a production output like I had never seen before. I mean, but some of it was pretty. Just I, I think they, he was doing it for the sake of having the idea. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know some of it mean? was like a conceptual, yeah. if you want to call it that. Yeah, you know? some of it was like very throwaway. Like the yeah. one stuff, uh, uh, Nympho Matriarch. Uh, that's what I was thinking of. Isn't yeah, yeah, that yeah. Where it was like him the and the sex his noises. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Just and made music out. Yeah, of it. and they yeah. made snares by by the clapping on the ass, and I was like, okay, that's very interesting but it's not something you enjoy listening to you know well you know i mean i guess these days people would just do sex tapes instead that's how they become celebrities so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah but my it was the original sex mixtape <laughs> <laughs> but my um the way i got interested into techno music was through um i told you this, this term before that the, the blockhouse term in 2000 house yeah it's, yeah. it's oh, like yeah. But isn't that we used to call that like filter disco house? No, 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 no. no, 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 no that's, I'm think we would call it like fidget house and shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was like fidget house, uh, uh, electro house, that like, kind of like stuff. Like what, what that A track kind of got into after after he was doing the like DMC yeah. shit. Like, well, like remember when you used to play upstairs in. Uh, from First Avenue on Saturdays. Yeah. And like downstairs, they were doing a lot of that stuff at that point. Okay. Um, Just to clarify, I wasn't playing Fidget House. Okay. He was. He totally was. I was <laughs> fucking worried. Okay, <laughs> yeah. No, no. He was... Pixar, it didn't happen. Yeah. No, but um, that was a big thing. That was like that sort of just after justice kind of yeah yeah, yeah. it was like failed. yeah it was, it was like that ed banger and shit yeah that kind of stuff for example uh justice the whole boys noise record stuff yeah. or institutes that was the stuff that got me into techno be because before that 
I wouldn't understand the records, you know. I would listen to them and I would, of course, I would like Jeff Mills' The Bells, but everything else I was like, okay, I don't really get why this is seven minutes long, you know. Yeah, exactly. But then after a while, like, I I enjoyed that stuff for like two or three years, but then, you know, after that it it's had run its course, you know. You can only have like this yeah. so many banging records and then be like, okay, that's it, you know. Yeah, I mean that whole Ed Banger scene is completely dissolved now. I think they they recently did an event at um, Prince Charles. Oh really? They, yeah, they had like um, uh, the um, what's it, Busy P and some some other guys from from Ed Banger. They played there, okay. but yeah, other than that, yeah, and I mean that that shit was massive. Yeah, you know. I, but yeah. that's the hey, that's a fucking kind reminder that no matter how on top of things you are. It can easily go to shit right, overnight, right. and it basically did for them. Yeah, you know, it, um, they were like the kings for like three or four years, I'd say, yeah. and then all of a sudden it died down. Like I remember, yeah. no one was interested in that stuff anymore, and it was also a scene that kind of lived only on the internet. Yeah. You know, you had all the stuff that was uploaded to blogs all the time, and basically, I think. Boys Noise and Ed Banger did vinyl releases and Institutes, mm -hmm. but most of the other labels. Mm -mm. Yeah, well, the thing about Boys Noise, Alex, is like he's been around for a long time. Yeah, yeah. That dude's not only technically a very good producer, but he knows right. his shit also about techno. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he's got he's on to some like other crazy tips as far as music goes. Yeah, but like he's quite knowledgeable. Whereas a lot of these guys that you kind of uh, name drop, like Justice and stuff, they're like. They came from a rock background, right, so this right. made sense. Or even like LCD sound system and that whole DFA yeah, sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a perfect transition for kids who, or not even kids, but even adults who were coming from like, let's say, a song-based background. Right, and like from, from indie, for example. It yeah. was Because in the mid-2000s, you had all these um, indie bands that were like incorporating dance music elements into their yeah. music. And then you would have the... Uh, electro house acts remixed them yeah. which was like a segue from indie to electro house to actual techno yeah i see we just had like prodigy and chemical brothers and shit <laughs> <laughs> dude it's just yeah. yeah man whatever it's just water man you don't have to no i didn't want to get on the microphone oh, oh good. okay but enough about ed banger i i, I grabbed a stack of records here because yeah. I was like, we should talk about some techno. Nothing against Germany. What a I know you guys are DJs, so you can actually keep up. Sometimes people come on the show and they're <laughs> they're not digging so deep, or they're more known as producers. Okay, or, you know what I mean. Is that a Code right. Red record? On yeah, the that's on the bottom. That's a Code Red. This is uh, yes, thank God. There's one. Down. There's one record in the pile that, that I already know, know about. No, that's, this is classic. But you know, man, this is also classic. Yep, like, just leaping off yeah. and up remix. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes you get this like. As a DJ, you're always like, it's kind of like you 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 want to be honest as a DJ, but you don't want to look like an idiot. So when someone starts talking about records and it's like very clear that everyone at the table knows, you're like, oh you, yeah, you, yeah. You don't want to. You don't want to. You have to. You have to weigh your odds. You have to know like they might be making this name up, like Jimmy right, Kimmel. Right. So I can't go full in. But yeah, I've got to be like, I think I've heard like of that. Like, uh -huh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you don't, you don't, uh -huh. you don't completely incriminate yourself either right, way. Right. So do you know this one? 
I don't. I don't. This is Alpha Wave, the Plastic Man remix. It's like twenty three or oh, twenty seven minutes. Yeah, long. yeah, yeah. I I know that there is like okay, it's okay, fucking incredible. And uh, the last time I actually heard this in a club, Gregor Tesher played the like, and I thought, okay, he's playing the beginning. He'll probably play three minutes and move on. Right. He didn't play the whole thing, but he played a damn good chunk he of it, which and, I was impressed because I was like, he had the balls kebab. to do it. Oh. I mean, you can easily play this whole thing. It's <laughs> right. such an incredible record. Right. But he he's just like. Fucking let it But think rip. about that. Think, no, real talk. If you, if you, Gregor Thresher normally plays at Watergate, right? I have no clue, to be honest. So I think, I think, I think so, yeah. I think he's playing at Watergate a lot. But if you, if you really were ambitious, you could put that record on and then go down the street, get a dinner kebab, eat come it. Come back. Come back. Yeah. You Good. might be able. You might be able to do but some Kyle, shots. I think you're the only one that'd be like, yeah, to that story. If, if you're like, guess what I did? <laughs> I don't know, you know. But hey, there is a, yeah, I see that Music Man record. Ignatio. Ignatio, yeah. Yep. Yeah, classic. And let me say this. Uh, I don't talk about this a lot, and I told Vincent Oh, this. That, that's Oliver Hall, right? And James Ruskin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We had a we had a Vincent and I shared a special moment because I played Preacher Man for the first. I had never played Preacher Man in an. I always owned the record last weekend. I played it last weekend, but I always owned the record. But I don't talk about this a lot. But I used to be like deeply religious. Yeah, and I always uh, Kyle's record. Hey. hey. Um, and I played Preacher Man the first time because I never knew like if it was quite. I never want to mock any, even if I'm not adhering to the religious beliefs. So the more I listen to Preacher Man, the more I don't know if it's actually mocking the... I don't think it is, though. I think it's just a really fitting vocal sample for for that, and I don't feel like... Well, he's into Jesus and all that shit. Yeah, he definitely wasn't whenever that record came out. Well, probably not. But here's, <laughs> here's the thing, though. Um but the, the the funny thing is that was by Green Velvet, by the way. Yeah. And uh, he did like I a lot of people know the song La La Land. Yeah. Which is like maybe arguably his biggest hit. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think so. Um, that was actually with the wrong intention. That was like his Bruce Springsteen born on born, born in, in the, the USA. USA. So all these people are like, yeah, fucking party, we're going to La La Land, let's take drugs. And he's like, no, you you miss the irony. The song is like a this is the danger is like, be careful. Like it's against right. that. You know what I mean? Right. So it, it totally Bruce, backfired This is going to make me sound really dumb. Is Bruce Springsteen's born in the USA kind of like it's, a protest? Like, yeah, to right, say, right. Nationalism? No, or it's, it's like, like, it's like patriotism uh, or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, a, it's like a song about, for example, people getting not the chance they deserve in the USFA, you know, but it gets always played at these kind yeah. of super wow. conservative so rallies. Well, it's like wow. a lot, like, uh, Never knew what that. was that 80s song? Like, oh, I, I just died in your arms tonight. That one, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, people will like send that to their lover back in the 80s and 90s and shit. It's like, dude, I, I know that you're trying to, because it sounds like a romantic song, but it's like, it's not a very 
Yeah, because because the lyrics go, I just died in your arms tonight, must have been something you said. Yeah. I'm like, okay, that's not a way to win someone over. Yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> like, so, Well, what about, uh, you know, this old Jumba Wumba song? I get, was, I get I knocked down, but I get up again. That, I'm never yeah. gonna keep that yeah. was, uh, that apparently, that was always used as like a motivational thing in movies. To keep and drinking stuff, more. Like, but yeah, it's about getting drunk, so yeah, drunk yeah. that you fall down and you get back up on the bar stool. Yeah, and you yeah, keep yeah. Drinking. yeah. <laughs> wow. Vincent, you don't play that song at work, do you? No. Okay. No. We don't play any songs at work. <laughs> no? <laughs> no. No. There's no, no like music therapy or anything. No, 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 no. Yeah. Why? Okay. Why would there be? I don't know. It's like a big thing in the U.S. right now. Really? What? No. Chumbawamba? No, no, Chumbawamba. no. Music therapy. Uh, Chumbawamba is only big in Dustin's house in the U.S. But <laughs> it was only big in '96 or '95, I think. Then what? That's when that came out. Chumbawamba. Yeah. I get knocked down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was number one in Germany <laughs> in the charts for a couple of weeks as well. As was Hasselhoff, right? Looking for freedom. Yeah. 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 Amazing. You know, the funny thing about everybody, especially Americans, love to do the whole mention of David Hasselhoff when it comes to Germany. But when I first moved here, uh, I was at Berghain on a Sunday morning when it was still kind of closing on Sunday mornings. Right. And I was with a couple people and they're like, David Hasselhoff is actually going to be performing at, uh, what's the train station right there? We should walk over there. I'm like, this ain't fucking happening, really. You know? Oh, when it was First a protest. Semester, so when we it went over there and he was like singing out of an ice cream truck. <laughs> <laughs> no joke. <laughs> it was such a bizarre ordeal. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that's how I, that's really how I stay grounded in a, in a place where techno is king. Whenever, whenever people say, Vincent, play I played that. I played that. Yeah, I played that last Mold weekend. Old Impressions, 1994. Fantastic. It's yeah. actually an Adam Bayer yeah. record. Yeah. yeah. But you know what's funny? I never put two and two together until about a week and a half ago because uh, Adam did this remix of Flower Child or War Child. Well, he did Flower both, Child. He, yeah. But uh, Dan Morgan, I think. Yeah. It's basically this record, but with the chords loop just put on top of okay. it, which is funny. I mean, okay. loading samples in a sampler back but, then like, was that's pretty the thing. Like, uh, big task, right? There was this Ben Sims double pack hard groove i grab apparently old old records but the it's primate one no or no it's the, double pack on hard groove okay but i mean like all those things they would just reuse their their same shit over and over oh but yeah then, yeah for example i if mean you, it's, it's kind of like now it's all fire and forget you make eight tracks and into two labels and then three of them sound the same yeah yeah for example uh one producer i think is really overlooked is mark williams like his uh, old stuff yeah, is yeah. like super good but it's like you said it's super busy though yeah it's like you, you can't really play it now or you could but it wouldn't have the same the same bang you some know? of the some of the stuff i still play i don't remember the names uh, one track that i don't play and it's not because i don't want to is uh, i can't find it anywhere really love that one the Danilo Vigarito? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it, that one, it's one of his best ones. The yeah, Halsey track? Yeah, the, 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 the groove track. on that one track is impeccable. That's, like, super good. Which yeah. one? Uh, Danilo Vigarito. One. I think it's called Sonar, maybe? It was one of yeah. his first yeah. records. Right. It's before Danilo right. blew up. Yeah, it's on... Uh, Izogi is the label called, right? Yeah. I, I so And it's, like, in the bass line, it's got... It's not mm, a chord mm, change, mm, but it's, like, mm, it's an interesting... Mm, uh, mm, mm, yeah, mm, mm, it's yeah, it's so good. You got symbolism. Oh, that's yeah, the remix. This is the remixes package. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The function remix is good. Vince Watson's is good. I 
I don't remember off the top of my head the other ones. To be honest. There's one Ben Sims remix on that that's that's really yeah. good as well. Uh, this is an old techno community for Kosovo. I think Gitano Parisio put this package together. It's a double pack from oh fuck. When was Kosovo? Like ninety nine or something? Yeah, ninety ninety eight, ninety ninety nine. Yeah, and like I mean. Just list off some of the names wow. that are on that record. Imagine James Ruskin, Surgeon, The Advent, Kari Lekebush, Adam Bayer, Ben Sims, Marco Carola. Yeah, all on one record. Now, now all those names couldn't be more different from each other today, right? Right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But they were all on one package together, and actually it worked out. And a lot of the tracks are cool, but I have to say, like, Carrie's track on there is one of my favorite ones from him. I don't know why. Wow. Man, all those guys, the when, when they did... Um, we were talking about downloading mixes a while ago. And one of the mixes that I'd always download was this live at Tronic treatment. And it was all of these techno heroes. And I was like, there's live at Tronic treatment in New York. And I thought New York was just this massive thing. And so Tronic treatment must be this massive, massive party. And I only right. had the downloaded mix from him. What Tronic Treatment was, I went uh, after like... At Sullivan Room or... Uh, I don't even think it was at it. Sullivan Room. It was like yeah. a smaller place than Sullivan Room. But it, it, it Yeah, I forget the yeah. name and then it ended but, up at Sullivan but Room. But Sullivan Room was, was a small place to begin with. And this was a Monday night party that like... And it's so funny that before the age of YouTube and the internet that like you could kind of make up your own story in your head right, about right. what the party was at was like based on the podcast. You can still do or, that now, man. Oh, yeah, yeah. You still could, yeah. But th this was really like uh, it was a Monday night thing and Christian Smith just knew all these guys and would they would always connect if they did any gigs in the US they would always or South America they would connect in New York as i understand it and so they would like crash on Christian Smith's well, yeah, couch okay, a lot okay. of them want to hang out in New York so yeah. they're like yeah you can play while you're here yeah and yeah, so it yeah. was like this really really small grassroots party okay. with like 50 to 100 people there you know however many and uh but in my head growing up in Indiana this was like this it Super just must be big. this massive, like, I love techno right. party that right. I had in my head for New York parties. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, that was kind of the yeah. lineup that Christian Smith would book for the Tronic Treatment stuff. Well, it, didn't, they did the Tronic Treatment parties in Detroit, and those were fucking killer. Ah, oh, with, like, they had Ben Sims and... Well, uh, one of the last ones was uh, Ben Sims versus Christian Smith. Yeah. They killed it. The other room was Marco Carolla versus Adam, Adam Bayer when yep. they were both still like beaten techno. Yeah. And then in the third room was Oliver Ho. And wow. I I I've watched a bit of everybody, but like understandably Oliver's room was a little light in attendance. Yeah. But that dude was fucking wrecking chop that night, man. He yeah. was so good. All and, those uh, guys were phenomenal DJs. Yeah, true. Like I felt like if you did a I mean, say what you want about Primate now. Because hindsight's always yeah, twenty twenty, yeah. and and sometimes sometimes like a record label like Primate is kind of has fallen victim of hindsight in that at the time Primate was kind of doing everybody was copying that sound, yeah. So yeah, Primate kind of kind of got like the bad end. Like now you look at all those records in like a lump. Yeah, and but you're dude, like, I can't yeah. give those records away now. Like some of no. them are 
fantastic in summer. So, for so fucking gross, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. For but example, the Mold record is like really, really good and yeah. really, really overlooked, I think. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The, the Gay Tech record, the mm -hmm. Gaetano Parisio. Uh, yeah. Uh, moniker that or the, was or the the sub label the uh, endangered species yeah Prime, some great primeval EPs. had uh, a better hit rate in my opinion primeval yeah that was a little bit more on the groovier tip not mm -hmm. housey but they actually had a, a house label called primary but that one didn't take off really yeah but I primeval thought primeval was good man I thought prime primeval had one of my favorite Joe Mole records the, uh, the, the mole, mole. The mole. Yep. yeah that record is fucking great I still yeah. play that from time to yeah, time yeah it's <laughs> like uh you know like whenever you play that Burkheim for example people go fucking nuts but you never hear it there yeah 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 and yeah. but it's like just one of those records you know yeah, yeah. I thought uh, uh Adam Jay's best record was on primeval I'd agree with well. you on that and yeah, there was he had he had a great record on theory as well. Yeah, the Western nihilism, I think it was called. He he put out a lot of great records in that period, man. Like, Indiana guy, you know. Yeah, like like some of his stuff was like very, yeah, like almost too trancy, I think. But the groove he had on most of those records, or and still has, is like super super well mm -hmm. thought of. Yeah, 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 and uh, yeah, I but I think that that primate, I think. Primate for the collective of of the music. Some of the music was give or take, but at the end of the day, all of those guys were phenomenal. There was not a single bad DJ that released on Primate. Right, right. And I remember seeing like flyers, old flyers for these Primate parties that like, I don't know if it was ADE or something yeah. like this. Yeah. And you're like, holy shit, to be able to see all those DJs on one yeah. lineup. Yeah. Yeah, but now we have that now opportunity. It's, now. I know, man. It's it's almost like I miss that hunger for like, like where you're like, I don't care if I get fired from my job. I'm yeah, going to yeah. this party. Uh, like when you live, I've never lived in a big city until Berlin. And it's there's always this like, oh, this band will come back. Or, oh, yeah, yeah. Like. It, there's never this sense of urgency like yeah oh i've got to do this or or yeah. else i think it comes with the oversaturation of things you mm -hmm. know uh, when you know someone is gonna come back like next year you'll be like okay yeah don't have don't have to risk my job or anything you know that sounds good i think i just need a testosterone injection or something like because you know, <laughs> get a little older and you're like yeah okay but i'll tell you what last night i was hanging out with the fiac boys which, yeah by the way do you know they smoke weed <laughs> I no. have no idea. So, Never seen that before. Yeah. Uh, but, like, man, they got, like, some fucking fire in them. I mean, I, you know, I've known those guys for a while, but it's, like, still, like, you could... There's some people that sit around and, like, oh, there's a tear in my beer. This industry is like, stacked against me, yeah, blah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah. We all have those moments. Oh, yeah. But, like, those guys are just genuinely, like, fucking hungry, man. Like, they want to go out. They want to party. They want to play music. Oh, yeah, music, yeah. You know, oh, yeah, all definitely. That. They want to hang out. And once you've gotten a little older and you want to do that, you're just like, well, it's going to take a little bit more to get me to go out. Yeah, you yeah. You know what I'm right. saying? And I, I wish I had a little bit of that again. That I've, I've never met those guys personally, but the thing I like about them um, is I feel like, and maybe I don't want to like get myself in trouble, but I feel like Berlin and techno has this ultimate like 
everybody is sweating to get gigs, right? And everybody's right. like, but no, you're you're almost like not allowed to act like you care that much. Like you, you want to like, you want to, you know, you you want to you want to score the goal, but you don't want to mess up your hair doing. Yeah, it. and yeah. and like I feel like there's this constant pressure to be like, hey, don't be too enthusiastic. Don't like. Don't be too pushy. Don't like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, don't do too many releases. Don't do, don't, don't send blah, blah, blah. And it's always like all the advice I've gotten over the five years in it's Berlin. Wrong. Yeah, it's all wrong. But like all, all of the advice I've gotten in Berlin over the last five years, I would say 80% of it is uh, in the category of be careful or slow down. Yeah, yeah. And and it's always like don't, you know, be careful what labels you release on. Be careful blah blah blah. Be careful who you work with. Ah, don't do this lineup. Don't play on this. And there needs to be some people that are just like, "Fuck it. Let's do it." Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, like and I I I I find these young people to be really inspiring actually. I find it to be like these people that aren't really uh thinking about it yeah. you know yeah um I, I i told you the other week that i'm i'm at cobasil and yeah, I, yeah. I i liked his like um like i we obviously grew up in different backgrounds and like whatever but i i liked his like just like you know just do it, you know, like yeah, yeah. just do, do what you want to do and all of this stuff. And I feel like techno has become such a like carefully crafted, like PR machine and all of this. And it's like, Hey, don't, you know, be yeah, careful yeah. doing this and be careful doing that. And and you do still have to think about things and you want to be strategic, but I do like this, like, this like kind of uh, zealous youth uh, that some of these new guys have that are just just going out and doing yeah, it, yeah, and yeah. you're like, it, it kind of gives me new life to see those people. Well, yeah, yeah, because they don't really have all these preconceived notions or like this. They're just like everything seems like an opportunity, rather rather than they're weighing it necessarily. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. Yeah, um, you gotta go. Yeah, okay. We gotta get you guys out of here in a few minutes, um, which is fine. Uh, it's been great, and of course, we'll have you back on the show. Yeah. Know? Uh, but you know, we talked a little bit about Vincent today, but we didn't go too deep into it. But you're you DJing regularly at Distillery or at Burkheim yeah. once in a while. You're not really traveling around so much. Hopefully, that'd be cool for changes a bit. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But uh, where can people check out? what you're about uh they can just go to soundcloud.com slash vincent minus neumann okay. and uh just yeah facebook.com slash vincent neumann leipzig i usually Le i usually put artist links on the train wrecks page yeah. so if, yeah. if you don't want to type all that in just head to the site and check it out yeah the, yeah. the best mix series names <laughs> will be oh uh, yeah that's right do you know any off the top of your head? No, I can open up the internet, but uh, it's my favorite is uh, it's what is it? Your um, everyone has an opinion. No, 
no one gives. It's it's easy to have an opinion when no one give a, gives a fuck about it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's true. You know, yes. like it's easy to to just say random shit like, "Oh, I hate this. I hate that." When no one knows who you are, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I hear you. Constant, constant barrage of he's gone more. He's gone more German. So you might. I don't know. If, <laughs> I don't know if. I don't know if Google Translate will always get the the full. The capture the full humor of it, but uh, there. If you if you go back through the back catalog, you can no, see some. The latest one is in English again. It's called. Uh, Did you know? Elo is now called Vero. Uh, <laughs> that lasted less than twenty four hours. Vero, right? Yeah. yeah. Vero, Elo, the social media changed to Vero. No, no it's oh, a joke. Like they both yeah, had a short yeah, because Vero is like the the latest craze, like the quote unquote Facebook killer, where, where everyone yeah. signs up and after one week everyone ditches uh, it. You okay. know, same thing with Elo that came out like yeah. two years ago or something. Still get spam from them. Do you really from Elo? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But you got a lot of DJ mixes on there, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, like I mean, that's that's or that used to be my way of getting. It was, getting exposure yeah. you know because i don't produce so i was like okay i have to get my name out somewhere you know and if yeah. i don't produce i'll just have to upload stuff in any form or whatever yeah. i agree man sometimes if, if you want to be a dj you got to pump that dj profile if you want to be a producer you got to hit the books or not the books but at least do a lot yeah, of studio yeah, work right but i mean yeah you got a ton of podcasts out you don't need to hear sets from Kyle or me, none of these other podcasts. <laughs> you got about umpteen hours worth of, of shit over on his right. SoundCloud profile. So just hit the fucking play button and rock out to Vincent for a while. Do it. Uh, Kyle, what's coming up for you? I don't know when this is going online, but let's just say this spring. Got a <laughs> uh, record out now on uh, Stress Research, uh, which is Stefan Ryan's yes. label. Oh, yeah. It's and a dope track. Thank you. And uh, that's on pre-order right now at dex.de. Yes. Uh, yeah. And, and then there's um, a EP that I did for the label Credo, mm -hmm. on, which is Alex Bao's label. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. coming out. And um, then I've got... The the club Lehman has done a. They've been wanting to start a label, and there's a there's a release coming out with tracks from me. The first release is coming out with tracks from me, uh, remix from Kari Lekibush, and awesome. uh, I think Emerson's on that, and our beloved Rafa. Rafa. Yeah, fantastic. Ah, nice. Shout outs to um, Rafa. And Emerson, hope you guys are well. Yeah, and I've got a, I've got another EP coming out on my own label uh, later this year, and then there's a couple other things that so I can't. Quite, quite a few things going on. I was, I was, I had a, I had one leg last year for half of the year, and I was also like just in a weird. I was having a lot of fun DJing, and I was having a lot of half-baked ideas in the studio. So, and now all those ideas are kind of coming to fruition. And, yeah. Awesome. So I'm going to put the foot on the gas this year with production releases. What about uh, any podcasts people can check out? Um, I just did a new podcast for Deep Space Helsinki. Mm. Really fun to do. I think it's we've all, show, all three series. of us yeah, yeah, have done We're all... We've all done that. Yeah, that's nice to have like a longer podcast 
Um, so there's that. I did one for Dance Trip and TV a little while ago, and then for my booking agency's uh, Unbroken podcast series. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm kind of enough s- to check out. Stepping up the, putting my foot on the gas on all those things. I'm, I'm getting a little bit older, and I'm like, you know what? Like, I don't think I'm gonna regret doing too much. Uh, Nothing gets done on the couch, man. Yeah, you know, yeah, got to hustle. Yeah. Um, right on. Well, anyway, they can check. I'm guessing your Facebook and whatnot to see where you're playing and my uh, MySpace and your MySpace. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, thanks for coming on, and, and please come back. Okay. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us.